You're listening to the Overeaters Anonymous Mid-Peninsula Podcast. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. For more information, please visit oamidpeninsula.org. My name is Ida. I am a compulsive overeater, and now my timer won't stand up. There we go. It's been an adventure getting here. I'm glad I allowed plenty of time because um, the password wasn't right, and I couldn't find you guys, and, so, and I didn't know what intergroup you guys were in, so I guessed Silicon Valley, and you weren't there. And But luckily, the Silicon Valley intergroup had Mid-Peninsula, a link to Mid-Peninsula, and there you were. So... Um, and I'm really glad to be here. Uh, I don't know if the person who asked me to speak here knows that I'm not a member of HAL, and I never have been. And I don't know if that makes any difference. Um, however, I have been abstaining from compulsive overeating for 45 years. And uh, I am a 100-pounder who has been passing for normal for 44 years. I've lost about. Um, 117, 118 pounds, and I don't have any weight to lose. I am I'm fully fat-free <laughs> in more ways than one. Uh, but <clears throat> so uh, I I have my pictures. There we are. This is how I looked exactly when I came into OA. That was at my weight when I came in, 225 pounds, and that was me at my previous top weight. Right before, you know, before I hit 225, this was 210. And I can remember thinking like, oh, well, at least I'm not 240, which was my all-time top weight, which was when I was a teenager. I came into program. It's amazing. I come onto this meeting, and the first person I see is somebody I've known for decades. You know, I love Zoom. You know, you just never know who you're going to see here. And... uh we never know, you know, we always need to be aware that we can run in. I'm going to tell you guys a story. Uh, I was, uh, my first year in program, I attached myself to my sponsor like glue, and she was in AA as well as OA. And uh, one day she tells me, you know, I'm going to go to uh, take a meeting with a group of people to the Chino Men's Prison. Would you like to come? And I thought, well, I don't have anything else better to do on a Friday night than go to a men's prison. So I said, sure, you know, I'll go to the prison with you. And uh, we, all, we piled into a van and we drove out to the Chino Men's Prison, which at that time was minimum security. It's mixed now, but that, at that time it was minimum. And I dressed nicely and I combed my hair and I, I went in with them and uh, we were taken into the cafeteria and there were there was loads of tables and loads of places to sit. And I sat down and I watched the alcoholics get to work. And 
the prisoners started coming in. There weren't that many, but some of them started coming in. And one of them walked over to me and sat down right next to me. It was unmistakably right next to me because the room was full of empty chairs. And he was, he sat right down next to me. He turns to me and he says, you're a teacher and you used to be fat. And it turned out that this prisoner lived across the street from my school where I taught. And he, he knew who I was and he recognized me. And I thought, holy shit, I go to a men's prison and I run into somebody who knows. I just, <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know, you can't make that kind of stuff up. And, and, um, but anyhow, now back to my story. Um, I said that I was uh, 240 uh, when I was a teenager. I, I have a horrible, horrible uh, gene pool that I come from. You know, in thinking about this uh, meeting, I was thinking about having to tell my story again. You know, and I've told my story so many times, I'm pretty well sick of my story. Uh, so I'm trying to think of a different way of approaching it. And I, and I started thinking about things that I've heard people say and things that I have said that people quote back to me. And one of the things I heard come out of my mouth once was that my genes are not my destiny. And it says in the OA 12 and 12 on page four, the disease of compulsive eating is threefold in nature, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Compulsive eating does not stem simply from bad eating habits learned in childhood, nor just from adjustment problems, nor merely from a love of food, though all three of these may be factors in its development. It may be that many of us were born with a physical or emotional predisposition to eat compulsively. Whatever the cause, today we are not like normal people when it comes to food and eating behaviors. Well, my family is multi-generational dying of this disease. My mother and sister and brother all died from compulsive overeating. They, they were diabetic. They had heart failure, all three of them. And uh, my father died of alcoholism on my 20th birthday, which kind of twisted the knife that it was my birthday. And I have another brother who died of alcoholism. Uh, the only person in my immediate family that uh, didn't die of the disease was my sister Louise, who, I say she died of stubbornness because she wouldn't go to the doctor. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then I have one sister left, and she has diabetes. She's 87. She's a walking miracle. She was one of these people who, when she was diagnosed, made the right about face, you know, as they describe in the big book. And uh, she has done extremely well with her diabetes. I could not make the right about face when it came to my uh, living condition before I got to this program. When I was uh, in college, my binging was um, 
really amazing. And I don't know how I stayed at a reasonable weight at that time. And I did, you know, build anything below 200 during that time in my life was pretty reasonable. Um, but then I moved to Southern California. I uh, quite literally escaped my family and my hometown and I moved to the big city. And uh, yeah, that was fateful because I moved into the heart of where OA was founded and, and possibly, at least at that time, the, the strongest area for recovery was in Southern California. And I got a job teaching in the LAUSD, which is where that guy saw me, <laughs> that prisoner. I wonder what he did to get, end up in prison, but he never did tell me. And I didn't ask. Uh, so, you know, during my 20s, I floated around from a low of 150 to a high of 225. And I got, uh, I got down to 150 uh, starving myself. I, uh, I went on a crash diet one summer and I walked back in, into school in September and people went like, holy mackerel. And somebody talked me into uh, joining a weight loss group at the time. And uh, the way I did that was on the way to the meeting, I stopped at a bakery and bought a ton of food and ate it all. And, and I figured, here was my logic. If when they weigh me, I will have all that food in my stomach and next week I won't. So I will automatically weigh less, even if I don't lose any weight. That was the attitude I went into that meeting with. And during that meeting, I kept questioning the speaker why 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 and finally she said well because i said so and so i went in with a real to say it was a crappy attitude is amazing uh and uh i was it was just stunning and of course i was doomed to failure because uh i had no sense of surrender whereas when i came into oa i came in with four days of abstinence because i started abstaining after i called and here's what happened with that. On April 16th, 1975, I got a letter from a friend of mine and she and her husband were moving to France. Now, the last time they had seen me, I was at 150. And uh, we had gone to high school together. They loved me, but I could not see what, uh, I could not let her see what I had done to myself since I had seen her last. And I had gained 75 pounds over a period of three years, trying my best not to. Most of that I believe I gained during my last year um, you know, of this slide. I felt like I had mutilated myself, and I had. And um, I felt like you know, she was going to be so disappointed, and I was so disappointed, and I was distraught. And I did call her and tell her I couldn't see her. And then I sat on the sofa and cried. And then I did something. I picked up the phone and called the operator and asked for the phone number of O Readers Anonymous. I had heard about OA in um, a Dear Abby column about a year and a half before, but I had not suffered enough. I had not suffered enough. And, um, but, but on that day, I reached the point where I had suffered enough. I got the phone number of World Service, 
And I called, but it was after hours and there were no answering machines in 1975. So I, uh, my phone call went unanswered. But it didn't matter because I was done. I got up the next morning and I ate um, an abstinent breakfast. And uh, I went back on this food plan that this group had given me. I took a lunch to school and uh, um, another teacher sat down next to me and she said, um, that looks like a lunch I know because she had been in this group also at one time. <laughs> and I said, yes, I was going to lose weight. And uh, a couple minutes later, she just turned and looked at me and said, why don't you try Overeaters Anonymous? So I was 12-stepped on my first day of abstinence, never having heard the words come out of anybody's mouth except the, the uh, operator that I had called the night before. So my phone call to OA was actually answered approximately 17 hours after I made it. And I've been abstinent ever since. Now, what I do is uh, I designed my own food plan, and it was weighed and measured, and I still weigh and measure. When I'm at home, I weigh and measure everything that I eat, and I just it's easier than not. Nobody told me to do that because the meeting I went to didn't talk about food, but Nobody, but I connected really early that there was a relationship between what I put in my mouth and how my body looked. And I could not live fat anymore. And I, I came into OA knowing that I was going to lose my weight. And I knew that I was going to have to change my life. So I actually did come in for the sanity. <laughs> when I, I used to hear people say that and I would laugh, you know, I'm, oh yeah, right. And then it hit me, no, Ida, that's your story. I came in to OA to change my life because I knew it wasn't going to make any difference if, I, if all I did was lose weight. So it took me a while to do that. I didn't get a sponsor for my first five months. I continued to abstain. I lost 80 pounds in my first eight months in program. And uh, I've, uh, I've never worked with a sponsor in my food because I've been abstaining. And my sponsors took the attitude and I take the attitude. I don't care what you're eating as long as you're abstaining. If it works for you, that is, that's just fine with me. But when people get in trouble, the one thing I start talking to them about is weighing and measuring their food because <laughs> there's such security in that. You know, I put it on my plate. I know what's there. I don't have to think about it. I know it's an abstinent meal. And for me, there are no abstinent foods, only abstinent meals. But I, you know, it's over with. The food's on the plate. It's over with. And I eat it all. I don't save a bite for God. I mean, really and i don't share my food it's all mine you know and because i prepare it and put it there myself and i know what's there i can i can eat it without having to worry you know about it so um two years into program i met the man that i was um going to marry two years later and one year in the program i got into service above the meeting level 
uh, Sherry was talking about that. And that is how we met. We met it, you know, how we, we've kept in touch all these years is because we run into each other at conventions. <laughs> I got very involved in Region 2, uh, particularly putting on conventions. And I worked on committee after committee until I got to the point where I couldn't do it like a lady anymore and I quit. And much to a lot of people's surprise uh, because um, I was pretty much a fixture on uh, on uh, Region 2 convention committees for many years. And that's where I made my friends. And during that whole time, the man that I married was with me and for me and supported me. He was not a compulsive overeater. As a matter of fact, he was so god-awful normal with food. He would just drive me crazy. He would do things like eat his food out of order. And I'm going... You know, or he would stop eating in order to listen to people talk. And I would just watch him and go, where does he get this skill? You know, where does he get this skill? But he, and he uh, never asked me what we were going to have for dinner. He never brought anything into this house that I wasn't uh, uh, comfortable with. And uh, he was always by my side wherever I went uh, at conventions and even retreats and tons of meetings. And, uh, and I feel very, very fortunate to have had that support. And uh, he died four years ago. Uh, he died of prostate cancer, but the last four years of his life was really marked by severe um, vascular dementia. And uh, it changed uh, the way I had to work my program because, you know, I, I was still involved in service above the meeting level, and I had to let that go. I had to let face-to-face -face meetings go, because uh, when he developed um, anxiety uh, without me, when I wasn't there, even when he didn't know who I was, didn't know my name, didn't know we were married, didn't know how I got in the house, he wanted me there. And I've never been able to figure that out. But if I weren't, if I wasn't there, he would go into uh, paranoia. So for about two and a half years, I didn't go to face-to-face -face meetings. And so what filled the gap was um, was the eleventh step. Now I I went to phone meetings and I continued to sponsor, uh, but it was the eleventh step that really uh, hit me in the face and. Um, which is very interesting because I don't believe in God. And yet the 11th step is my favorite step. Go figure. Uh, it's because it's the meditation step. And uh, roughly two years into his illness, I was introduced to mindfulness meditation through a pain management class because I was having extreme pain. And uh, I started a daily practice. And I've had a daily meditation practice for over six and a half years now. And it has uh, changed everything. I, uh, I'm, you know, I meditated through his illness. I meditated through his death. I did it, meditated through the aftermath. And the other thing I did through all of that was I abstained. My food did not change. Through the worst time of my life, my food did not change. It was rock solid. My meditation practice was rock solid. Uh, the people, the relationships with the people that I sponsor, they were all rock solid. My, my people stood by me 
And when there was times when I had nothing to give or when I had to take a week off and just, you know, concentrate on other things, they stood by me and let me, let me have my space. And uh, those women are still with me. Um, I got back to a meeting because one of them uh, was visiting town and she said, you want to go to this meeting? And I said, okay. I could not, I did not rush back to meetings after, after I, uh, after my husband died. But, um, but the program was with me constantly. My sponsor, the people that I sponsor, my 11 step meditation practice, and my commitment to abstinence got me through um, a really, really horrendous time. So, and I have seven, six, now I'm doing a countdown. Now. I'm going to run out of time in three seconds. Oh, crap. Uh, the problem with, the only problem with having uh, 45 years and 20 minutes is that I can only say so much. But I do hope that, I do hope that uh, I've said something that you can relate to. Okay, thank you very much.